mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 31. But I'd like to go back and just take a little bit of a look again at some of the previous verses. Um, if you remember, we're in the upper room. The Lord of glory... God himself has come down from the throne room and he has washed feet, humbled himself so low that he becomes lower than the lowest servant in the house and he washes feet. And it's, it's a picture, if you will, of him washing our spiritual feet. His blood, we're saved by his blood, we're washed and cleansed. And then as we continue to live our lives, we need to be sanctified. We need to have our feet washed daily. We need to be listening to his word, being in the word, prayer, and fellowship. And really, I wanted to go back and look because it's so amazing to me that because of the heart of Judas, who's already made his plans, and his heart has become set upon his own ways, upon his own doings, and what he's already getting ready to do, uh, probably because of the lies of the wicked one, the world. Listen, he's setting in the presence of God. Listen to me, this is very important. He hears the truth of God, the word of God. And as God is speaking, Jesus the Christ sitting at the table, just washed their feet. He's speaking and he tells them that one of them is going to betray him. Now think about this just for a minute because the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner. It's a judge of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And as he says this, the only one in the room that has thoughts and intents in their heart to betray Jesus is Judas. And he's giving this last hand of fellowship. He's saying, here, don't, don't do this. He's, he's loving on him completely. And yet Judas hears the word. He hears the truth. And his hard heart cannot turn the corner and turn back. Because he stayed in his own plan for so long. He allowed his heart to be trained for so long in self and sin and Satan that he couldn't turn. Even when he hears it, there's no more conviction. 
Even when he hears it and he knows that God is saying to him, here is the word, this is you. You're looking in the perfect law of liberty and you're going to do nothing. You're still going to go out and follow your own plans. Many times when you sit in a church, when you sit in a Bible study, when you hear the word of God, maybe you're reading by yourself and you hear that and then your heart is not cut. Your heart does not change. You don't say, Lord, help me then your heart is becoming hard. And this is what I want you to see in this, is that this man still got up. God knew he would. He always knew. It wasn't a surprise to him. He knows that many will hear the word and reject it, that it'll fall upon stony ground. It'll fall upon different hearts. And this is the whole point, though, is that I want you to understand that what you're planning today, the resistance you're giving God today is confirming your heart. I've been sharing this quite a bit lately with people is that it amazed me that my wife, even with a feeding tube, her heart was already set in hospitality. So she was always on these food groups. She's always on these new recipes. She's always looking at these next new things to make. Her heart was set on that. Even when she couldn't eat it, she would still do it. And it was a good thing. Now think about it, if you flip that upside downward, your heart is convinced on a bad thing and you continue to run to it, you continue to run to it, even though God in his love is saying, oh, don't do that, I love you, I love you, I love you. And here we have a table set in the presence of God and he is washing their feet, he's cleansing them, he's saved them, he's getting ready to go to the cross and die for them and he says, the, I mean, out of his own mouth, Quoting scripture, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas couldn't stop doing what he had already planned. And he chased after 30 pieces of silver. And see, in our hearts, I think there's places in all of us that we might be doing this and we need to have light shined on it and say, what are you doing over here in your religion? What are you doing over here in your flesh? What are you doing over here in your own plans for your funeral? Because we compartmentalize our life. And what we need to do is set down in a perfect love relationship with intimacy with God and know that he's setting the table for us in the presence of our enemies and that he wants to speak to us. And when he speaks is the time to obey. When he speaks is the time to hear and let faith grow and then say, that's me. And confess it before him. Confess it over and over and over again. And confess that I have no capacity to change, Lord. It has to be your washing, your cleansing, your work. Or we get up and we go out and it's dark. Just like with Judas. He got up and he went out and it was dark. Verse 30 tells us. It was dark. Now, don't miss that. Judas has got his plans. The devil enters him at the same time that God is offering fellowship. He offers him the bread. But guess who's in control? Look at the, look at the end of that line. Look who is in control. Still. What verse is it? No, you tell us, Greg. I'm sorry, I'm looking at it. It is verse 27. And even after the piece of bread, it says Satan entered him. He possessed him. Uh, 
Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Are you guys still with me? Verse 27. Listen, Jesus is still in full control. His word is still the command. His word is still the power. His word is still just as powerful. Even though Satan has entered Judas, and now Satan is controlling Judas's life, God is the head of Satan. Do you see that? He's actually still giving the orders. He's actually still speaking. And he says, what you do, do quickly. So even when the heart was confirmed, everything is still underneath the authority of God. He is sovereign in all of it. And then we see Judas go out. So listen to me. Listen to me. There's people running around in the church. There's people running around in your life. They're running around everywhere. And, and they're doing the work of Satan. They're not a good witness of Christ. They're not a good witness of Christ's love, but God is still in control of them. He's allowing them to lie to you. He's allowing them to be false prophets. He's allowing them to, to have churches. He's allowing them to write books. He's allowing them to do all the things that they're doing, even though they are betraying the word of God. And then he gives you a choice to choose. Am I going to learn the word of God, have intimacy with God, learn what the truth is so that I don't follow the liar? See, any of these guys could have got up and followed Judas out of the room. I'm going to go find out what's going on. Why is he leaving? Instead of talking about it, but they stayed with Jesus because they knew he had the words of life. Who are you staying with? Who are you listening to? What are you allowing to enter your heart? What plans are you making? What voices are you listening to? When we've been given new life, new birth, new hope. We were lost. We didn't even know it. And he says, and he taps on our door with love and kindness and goodness and his grace. It amazes me that The amount of times me, you, others can sit in church, we can read the Word of God, we can hear a message of the Word of God, we can hear somebody expound on it, and we can sit there and go, man, I wish Bob was here. There's no Bob in the room, so I'm using that. Man, I wish my uncle was here. Man, if, boy, if, listen, the Word of God is for you first. It's not for somebody else. Yes, I do say we need to be concerned about souls, but how does it apply to my life first? My life first. Not always wishing that it's somebody else. What is God saying to me? And that's what we need to look at because here's Judas. He's not stopped a bit. He wasn't, I mean, think about it. He didn't slow down a bit. He took the bread, he got up and he left quickly. And it breaks my heart that he did. And then he realizes afterward what he has done. And he tries to deliver the pieces of silver back. And even the Pharisees said, we don't want nothing to do with that blood money. Even they knew it was evil. But that was their plan. That was their whole scheme to keep their power. And what does he do? He throws it down in the temple. And they pick it up and they go buy a field, a field of blood, a kildama. And that's where Judas went and hung himself and fell headlong and his entrails burst out. 
no ability to repent. Now, many say he could have repented. Yes, in theory, you can repent until you stop breathing. But when your heart is hardened, you have no desire to repent. When you've resisted the Holy Spirit, which is the only power there is, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit over and over and lie to the Holy Spirit, quench the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will leave and stop convicting you. What conviction there must have been in that room when there was concern with everybody else Judas knew it was him, knew the word was for him, knew that he was the one being called to turn. And he went straight forward with his plans and went and got his silver. And then when it was too late, he killed himself. Now, is that a picture of every person that goes to hell, every person that dies instead of has life will have chosen it themselves? See, you reap what you sow. And so it's very important, even in the training of children, that's what God's doing with us as spiritual children. We're his spiritual fruit because he fell to the ground and died and he, and he, and he brought much fruit, much grain out of his death for anybody who believes in him. And in the same moment, you know, when we, have, we, we come together and we have marriages and we have children and then we're supposed to begin to train them train their little hearts in the way they're supposed to go. We're supposed to give them the word of God and give them the truth of God. And as husbands, we're supposed to lead the homes. And as husbands, we're supposed to make sure our wives are washed in the water through the word and that they're getting truth so that they can grow so that their little hearts don't go somewhere else, but they stay with the Lord. And what a great testimony it is when I talk to people and I say, oh, was you born in the church? And they say, yes. Some can say we were born again in the church, but others were born in the church and they've been in the church all of their life. But you know what happens there? There becomes this complacency. There, there becomes this contempt. There becomes this control of religion instead of a relationship with intimacy where you come to know Christ because of choice. And many people think they're okay because they were born in the church but they have no relationship whatsoever with the Word of God. And it's a very sad testimony that they don't see that we need to have a relationship with the Word of God. I have no new message. We need to get into the Word, prayer, and fellowship, not necessarily in that order. I would say prayer comes first. But then if you're going to pray, you're going to say, wow, God's taking care of me. What, who is this God? You get into his unchanging word. It gives his character, his nature, his will, what he's done, what he's going to do, what he, everything about that we need to know. And you begin to read it and study it and draw near and he draws near to you. You can go anywhere and find a good book. You can go to any church, listen, and find a church if you bounce around long enough that is telling you exactly what you want to hear. But when you get into the Word of God, it tells you what you need to know to grow and to go in intimacy with God because you're concerned about souls because your husbandman is. Listen, it's easy to go find somebody that'll tickle your ear. It's easy to find a church that's already preaching what you want to hear. And that's why churches that are preaching the truth are empty. They're empty because it's, I want to go be entertained. I want to hear loud music with smoke. I'm not being mean either at any church. There's good churches that have loud music with smoke. They're still teaching the Word of God. 
But by and large, when you find these elements together, they're not teaching the word anymore. They're tickling ears. They, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They deny the spirit access because they've made their own plans and they're following their own commentaries. They're following their own word. They're following their own systems. They're following their own timetables. They're teaching from what man has said and not what God is saying today to the church. He who has the ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit would say to the church church not what man would say i don't want to hear from man i don't know about you but men have been betraying me and lying to me all my life the world is underneath the sway of the wicked one but when you can hear the the lord of glory speak and walk away and say that's what he thinks i got another plan i've got another gospel i got another religion that's how they could kill him with God in their presence, they could take him and arrest him. Not because he was weak and anemic, but because he allowed it. Because for this purpose, he had come. What is God saying to you today? Listen, you should know what God is saying to you. Because the Spirit speaks loud. If you're in the Word of God and you're spending time with God, you should know what he's dealing with you on. I love to ask that to people and they, they freak out. Because now you're in their space. So what's God saying to you? All you got to do is ask, are you reading your Bible? Yeah. Where are you reading at? Oh, uh, you've been in Romans chapter 8 all your life. Is that where you're at again? That's what you told me last time I asked you this question, two years ago. Man, you're always in that chapter. Is that a pat answer or is that real? So what's God saying to you there then? Well, listen, if I ask you what your wife said to you or your husband said to you, if you're a woman, wouldn't you know? When you were talking to your wife early, would you know? Yeah, I know there's, there's exceptions to these types of analogies. I can't remember what they were saying. But if I reminded you, see, I talked to somebody who's got, he's got permanent brain damage. Now, God can fix that. And I talk to him all the time. And he's got short-term memory loss. Now, so you read your Bible, you say, yeah, I say, what was it? He goes, oh, I don't, I don't remember. And he'll tell me what chapter it was or what book it was. And I'll start talking about what it was. He goes, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And then he remembers. See, so if you're telling me you're reading somewhere, you should still be able to be reminded. If I say, what did your wife say to you last year? What did your husband say? And then they remind you, then you should be able to tell me the rest of it. If you're paying attention. Listen, there's an intimacy that's going on. What is God saying to you? Listen, are you hearing the word of God and going out and doing nothing? Or are you becoming a doer of the word and not a hearer only? See, because if you're a hearer only, you're deceiving yourself. Because it's only for you. It's only for me. God didn't come to do anything for himself. He's already perfect. But everything that he's doing, good, bad, indifferent, painful, sorrowful, joyful, it's all there to test our hearts. He already knows our hearts perfectly, and he wants us to see our hearts. And the word of God will show you the thoughts and intents of your heart. And Judas just seen his, and what did he do? He went headlong into perdition, headlong into death. He didn't turn at all. When you hear the word of God, do you turn or do you point at somebody else? This is a very important question for all of us. 
What do you do when you hear the Word of God? Do you receive it? Do you lift up your heel against Him? Kick against the goad? All He's trying to do is get us to walk in the way that He's called us to walk, to walk out the gifts, to let the Holy Spirit lead our life, to lead us where? Onward and upward to where we're already seated at. It's not like he's like, okay, I'll just twist their arm and force them down and drag them across the floor. No, it's a free will. And we need to surrender. We need to come to our senses like the uh, prodigal son did. And I'm just rattling now, but I need to get back to our text. Um, when you get a piece of bread and you don't go out with a heart to do it, does more of the world enter you when you reject that truth? See, that's what happened here. The bread was handed to him, the sop, King James. And instead of receiving it and saying, wow, this is truth, he just called my heart out. And then you go out. Is it dark or is it light when you go out? See, because this is for the equipping of the saints. This is a time of equipping when you get into the word of God to go out as light to the rest of the world. And we got to go out differently. Listen, he's given us an example. He's given us a pattern. And, and, and this is a very tough text. Uh, uh, and actually what he's given me to say is, is very difficult. But I'm just going to trust him and tell you about it. But Judas didn't change. Judas gets up. Judas goes out. Judas received the piece of bread, the truth. You're going to betray me, Judas. And went out immediately, straight away. It was night for the rest of eternity. It was dark. Even when in his emotions he realizes that he has betrayed the Lord of glory, there was no power to turn back. There was no power to change. Even when the money was no good, he couldn't change. So our text moves on. Uh, to 31, and I've got a few points I want to make. I want to make sure that I've finished all my points there that I was trying to make and remind you of, um, because after I had taught last week, God spoke to me a couple other things. Thirty-one, John thirteen thirty-one. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? 
Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall, crow, shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us a pattern. You've given us an example. You've given us your word. You've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, we want to understand what you're saying to us today. So speak loudly, speak clearly, and help us to receive it with meekness, the implanted word for the saving of our souls. Help us to become doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Wash us and cleanse us. In Jesus' name, amen. 31 again. So when he had departed, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified, obviously because Jesus being the Son of Man, messianic term, that now that the plan is finalizing, everything's going on, what Jesus was called to do, uh, he's going to be glorified in the death, burial, and resurrection, and that would glorify God. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Now, how, what do you think that those two lines are about? When five times the word glorify, 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 glorify. But notice that there's a, there's, that there's a pattern that goes with it. The Son of Man is glorified because he's finishing his course. He's completing what he was anointed and called to do. It's coming to a fruition at the end of the fruit of his life after being perfectly obedient. So what is it happens when he does that? When he's doing what God had sent him to do, becoming faithful to do everything that God called him to do, it glorifies God. It, does, it glorifies God. And then he immediately glorifies Jesus and gives him the name above every name. So that one day every knee will bow. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to him. He's glorified. Now listen to me. Because that's the end of our race. See, Jesus is coming to the end of his course. He's coming to the end of his race. He's already decided in Little Gethsemane in chapter 12 what he's going to do. He already knows the fullness of this. And he's going through it. His heart was already confirmed. Don't wait till the problem happens. Don't wait till the temptation comes. Don't wait till the enemy attacks because the enemy will deceive you. Prepare your heart today to say, I want to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. I want to fulfill my calling. I want to know my gifts, talents, and abilities. I want to be ready when the attack comes and know my decision already. You know, I thought about it long and hard about my wife. When they said the only way she can survive is if we do a trach. You know what? In the emotion, I wanted to do a trach. In the emotion, I wanted to put a trach in her and keep her alive. But in the truth, me and her had already discussed this. In the real, we had already knew what the decision was going to be long before. Not in our emotions. Because when you're in your emotions, you'll make a decision that's different than what truth and reality is. So you have to already be spending time in intimacy together in order to know that decision. It broke my heart, but we knew what the decision was. We knew that that day was going to come. We didn't want that day to come. But we knew it was going to come. 
Now, in the spiritual realm, your flesh is crying out for redemption. You want that day to come. And yet, we're fighting against it with the very things that we do. We're fighting against washing and cleansing. We're fighting against glorification. We're afraid of being glorified. When that's the end of the race, they give you a trophy then. They give you rewards. They give you crowns. And down here, we love it. Yeah, I was the best ball player. I was the best runner in track. I was the best. I had a scholarship for swimming. I was this. I was that. And we, we, we testify of it. But in the spiritual realm, we resist the Word of God. And that's really what it's all about, the spiritual realm. And so what we've done is the same thing that Israel did. We've turned everything about this spiritual kingdom, this spiritual life, this spiritual God, this spiritual war, this spirit that's in this tent. We've turned everything into how does it affect my physical and what should I be doing? And no, this is going to interfere with my plans and my funeral. Yes, it's supposed to. That's why he came, to interfere with your funeral, to interfere with your will and give you a choice to be led out into life. And to be glorified one day. That's the end of the race. Justified, sanctified, glorified. It's the third leg of the race, and yet we're so afraid of it. And that's because we're resisting letting him wash our feet in the sanctification. We're trapped in the world. We're chasing everything that we see. Oh, yeah, we love the salvation. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man, I remember when I went down there and I said that prayer, I went forward. Boy, I was convicted. Did the Holy Spirit quit speaking then? Did he quit working? Is he not washing your feet now? See, that's the problem. We're teaching people that all you have to do is say one prayer. All you have to do is believe. That's the new gospel. But it's not love to tell them that you can stop there. In fact, how could you say you love somebody if all you do is let them start the race and you don't care about how they finish? We need to finish well. We need to be glorified. We're not yet glorified. Now, I know positionally that that is happening if practically we are being sanctified. We have to get the cart in the right place. We have to get the Holy Spirit out in front of us, the Word of God out in front of us. Who are you following? What pattern are you following? In everything, the pattern is the pattern of the world. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Then why are you following the pattern and the example of what the world is doing? Because you're following death, but you say you believe in life. You're getting your counsel from death, but you say you believe in life. See, we can't be deceived like this. Listen, we can't be deceived like this unless we choose to. If you choose not to put your feet in Jesus' hands, he will allow you to confirm your heart and walk with your heart and go with your heart. Here is a man that was three years plus walking and doing the same things that the other disciples were doing, but he hadn't given up his plan. He hadn't laid down his life. He hadn't really come to his senses, but he believed Jesus was the Messiah, maybe at one time. But his purpose on... And his heart was still to get the money. It was still to get what he wanted. It was still to get to his destination. It wasn't to glorify God by fulfilling what he had called him to do. See, Jesus is telling you the testimony here of what's going on. 
now that he's at the end of his life, they're on the final days. He's getting ready to be go out of the upper room in chapter 14, go across the brook Kadron, go into the garden, and where this man's doing this quickly is going to bring a whole pack of troops, a, 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 a bunch of soldiers, temple soldiers, to arrest Jesus. Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed with a kiss. Jesus knows what's going on. He's going to be arrested and beaten, betrayed and mocked and spit on and nailed to a tree. And he's allowing it. Listen, you can know what God is doing and then allow it, not fight against it, not resist it. Go through it, get to the other side and glorify God with your life. Or you can keep fighting for your own plans and fall headlong into a field. You got a choice. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Judas hung on a tree. Instead of receiving the redemption that was before him in the bread, he went and hung on a tree. He didn't have to go to that field. He could have stayed in God's field. Which field are you working in? This is not about Sunday morning. This is, not about, this is about your eternity. This is about your life. This is not about Pastor Greg is saying some stuff and he's talking about the Bible. This is real. This is about your marriage to Christ. Is it real? Is there intimacy? I mean, I, I'm saddened. I know people that have separate bank accounts. They're married, but they have separate bank accounts. They take separate vacations. Everything that they do in the physical, is they're in the same house, but they're not really growing and becoming one. And so how can we be in God's house and not become one? You get a separate bank account? Is all your money being spent on what you want? Or are you, doing, are you glorifying God with the body? Are you glorifying God with your possessions? Listen, you got a separate bank account? It's my money. This ain't God's money. I give him my little bit, whatever I want to. Everything belongs to God. You're deceiving yourself if you think that God can't take everything that you got. Listen to me. This is serious stuff about our souls. That's why I'm saddened when nobody's listening. There's only a couple people that come to church. Because this is the word of God. And he loves us with a never-ending love. And yet the world wants to preach some other church or some other gospel, some other message. They want to go out and fight about race. They want to go out and fight about politics. They want to go out and fight about the physical. They're not even concerned about the spiritual anymore because their wallets are being attacked and they're concerned about only inflation. They don't care about souls. Oh, they'll say, let's pray for them. What, a, what is that, a token prayer? Your heart is clear over here. Your heart is somewhere else. What kind of a prayer is that? Listen to me. This is serious stuff. And the church has been hoodwinked and deceived just like the nation of Israel all over again. And we all can fall for it for a moment. But do we stay in it? Do we enjoy it? Is this where I want to be? Because one day those 30 pieces of silver won't even buy a loaf of bread. One day your physical flesh is going to starve to death. And where will your soul be? He's getting ready to go glorify God. Listen to me. 
The Son of Man is glorified. The Messiah has come. He's going to be glorified. He's actually saying it before it happens and before it's completed. But guess what? We know it was completed perfectly, and so does He. And God is glorified in Him, because this is what God has set out to do. And really, glorified means to render or esteem glorious or to honor. Here it is. It means to magnify, to be magnified. Because nobody can stop him from doing what he's doing. In fact, this is the flip side of it. The devil is using somebody's free will to crucify Jesus. But in fact, that's the purpose he came. And the devil wants to do everything against God. The devil doesn't want God to do what he came for. And so he's actually got him so messed up that he doesn't even know what he's doing. He thinks if he kills the Son of Man, he thinks if he kills the Son of God, that he's going to win. And that's the way he gets us thinking, where we're confused. If we just get this president, if we just get this job, if we just get this career, if we just get past this vacation, then we're going to win. Listen, no, Jesus is our hope. The Word of God and who we're having intimacy with and relation with. Are we building spiritual fruit with this God, or are we making plans for our funeral? Are we looking to glorify God? Is God glorified in the things that you're doing with your money, with your time, with your resources? That's what he, that's what he says. If God is glorified in him, he's saying God is glorified in him because he's doing what he was called to do, even in the face of death. Think about it. He had all the power. You might have that in your job, in your place. You might have all the power in your free will decision. But he freely chose to do what God said to do instead of what he wanted to do. That's called death. It's first death to self. It's, it, it's death to your desires. It's death to your time. It's death to everything saying, I don't own anything. I'm going to do what the Father sent me to do. I'm going to come under authority and do that. And that glorifies God. But see, what we have in America is culturality. It's a Sunday go to meet in church, and all of a sudden you're in there, and you're really good, and all of us are really good at evangelizing the pews and saying amen, and we got miracles going on, and people's lives are being changed, and this is a, a great thing. And then Monday morning at the copying machine, we live like a bunch of heathens. See, that's the problem I have with all this, this craziness, this circus in a lot of these churches. And they tell me that they, we got this going on and that going on and people are doing this and lives are being, and this is going on. And then Monday morning at the copy machine, you live just like the world. You love just like the world. You're chasing just exactly what the world is chasing. Your heart isn't changing except on Sunday in the, in the church, in, in the middle of everybody else. And so that's a pretense. That's not doing what God said. That's pretending to do what God said. See, because if there's true spirit and there's true bread and there's true surrender, there's true coming to your senses, no matter what everybody else is doing at the copy machine, you're going to still be doing what God is doing so that you can glorify him. And it's a lonely place. But so was Jesus' life. It was a solitary life that laid it down perfectly. And now he's glorifying God. Is what your plans are and what you're doing, is it glorifying God? Because if it's glorifying God, God will glorify you. He'll honor you. That's important. You can't go out nowhere without the Spirit of God helping you. 
You can't do anything. You can't have any fruit unless God's glorifying you. And see, that's, that's, that's during this race, but then that's the final position of the race. When he puts a crown on our head and glorifies us and says, look, good, well, enter in, my, uh, my servant, well done, good and faithful servant. And then, and then the only ones that's got any senses are going to say, whoa, dude, these are yours. I didn't do anything. And that's a, that's a heart that we have to keep the entire time, even down here, is that just because God uses us doesn't make us somebody special other than that we're, the, we're, we're king's kids. We're children of the king. But what did the king do? He died. So we have to follow that pattern. He washed feet. So we need to follow that pattern. We, he gave up his prerogative to his throne until the time when he would say, Father, glorify your son with the glory that he had before the world was. And I have delivered. What does he say? It's in 17. It's when the Lord really prays. You want to know what the Lord prays about. Look what he's praying in 17. We might get to this text. Jesus spoke these words, 17.1. Lifted up his eyes to heaven. Where are you lifting your eyes to? And said, Father... The hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh. Does he have authority over your flesh? That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And then he tells you what eternal life is. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, gnosko you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Listen to me. That they may know, that they may gnosko you, the only true God and Jesus Christ that you have sent. You know what that word is? That's where gnoskos, that word no, it's a euphemism for having sexual relationships in Matthew with Joseph and Mary. But it means to learn to know, to come to know, to bear fruit because you know because we're supposed to be going and being fruitful and multiplying. In the physical, man and woman is supposed to have children and train them in the way that they're supposed to go. In the spiritual, we're married to Christ, and because of that intimacy and because of gnoskos, knowing Him, we're supposed to bear spiritual fruit, and that fruit is supposed to remain. And that fruit is the witness that goes out, and other people see it, and then they want to know where it came from, and they become thirsty for it. And when that fruit grows, you begin to wash other people's feet. That's what he's talking about here. You can't wash somebody's feet unless that fruit grows in you. Now, you could pretend it and go, let's have a foot washing, and let's go, let's go wash some stinky feet. But this is talking about spiritual feet. More than anything, it is physical. It is happening in the physical, but he's given us an example to follow. I've washed your feet, wash others. Don't go to the bus stop tomorrow and try to wash somebody's feet. You will go to jail. Listen to me. So he's glorified. He glorified him immediately. When, he's, when you're obeying your calling, when you find out your gifts and talents and ability, when you have a, a social intercourse with God, 
You're going to have intimacy. You're going to bear fruit. How do I have social intercourse? I get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, and I begin to have a relationship where the two are becoming one, just like in real marriage. And then he teaches me how to love, how to die, how to be led by the Spirit. That's the whole example that he's coming to. And at the end of fulfilling, he washes feet. We're supposed to be maturing and growing. He was already God and going. He knew what he was doing. You and I are supposed to grow in it and go to it and trust him with it. And keep growing and keep going until the day that we see him because he's washing and cleansing us. And then, since Judas is gone, verse 33, I'm just going to keep moving. I was going to do some first uh, mentions. You can do your own word study. Look at verse 33 of John 13. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Now remember he said that in John 7. And they said, where's he going? To the dispersion? But he's going to the cross. He's going to the grave. And then he's going to ascend into heaven. And they can't go there now. They're not ready for that now. There's work to be done now. But notice what he says to him in this endearing term. And this is the only, this is the first usage for little children, little born again ones. And it's interesting that he couldn't use this term. John uses it about five or six times in 1 John. He couldn't use this term. It's never been used until after Judas goes out. Isn't that interesting? That as soon as Judas goes out and it's night, he declares it finished glorified, finished, magnified, exalts, exalts and magnifies and celebrates the work that's been done because he knows that it's going to be completed. And then he calls them little born again ones, little children. And he tells them, I shall not be with you, but just a little while longer. And you will seek me. And the word seek is a word for uh, worship. Uh, seek is in Hebraism, which means in the Hebrew language, to seek is to worship. It's a Hebraism for that. It's used like that. In that language, it means to desire. You'll come after. Used seven times in First John, the little born again ones. I've, I've got a note there, I see. This is the first usage, though. This is the first usage for it here. Because... They're going to seek him, but they can't go where he's at. But he's going to be, what's he going to do? We're going to see here in a minute. And we have a long, a long way to get there. But he's going to tell them that he's going to send another. See, they're still going to be seeking to worship him and seeking to see him. But he's going to tell them he's going to send another, the Holy Spirit of promise. And then he's going to be with them and he's going to teach them. He's going to remind them of all things. And that's where the relationship is going to be at in, in, in the finality of it. But they're not going to find him. But what does he do? He makes these little cameo appearances several times before he ascends. Several times to get them used to the fact that he's not going to be there in presence. But he's going to be there in spirit. And that he's hearing what they're saying. And he knows what they're saying because he steps into the room. And he starts to talk to them about what they've been talking about. 
He knows what's going on in your heart. And he wants us to understand that, that the Spirit is here right now. He knows the loneliness. He knows the hurt. He knows the pain. He knows the frustration. He knows the difficulties. He knows what you're going to go through tomorrow. Do you want to go through it with your plans? Or do you want to go through it with the Spirit of God preparing you? Listen, I watch people all the time try to go through it with their plans. And you know where it ends at? It ends with them going to a secular psychologist. It ends with them going to the secular world. It ends with them going to medication. It ends with them going to somebody other than God for help. Because they don't know where their help comes from. So they start running everywhere. Maybe they can help. Maybe they can help. Maybe they can help. Maybe they can help. Maybe what I'm really missing is this. And I need to get a new car. I need to get a new job. And they don't realize that their help comes from the Lord. And he knew what was going on. And he's offering bread. He's offering truth. He's offering everything. He's even showing the intent of the heart. And we reject it and we go out and it's still dark because we're not walking in the light. We're not fellowshipping. We're not having the intimacy with him that we're supposed to be having. We're trying to divorce and go out and commit spiritual uh, adultery, which is idolatry. When we're married to only one husband and we've been betrothed to them, Paul says, as chaste virgins. What are you chasing yeah it's interesting the first usage on this seek is uh, the exact opposite listen Jesus is saying you're going to seek me and you won't find me now but then when you go to the first usage it's, it's Matthew 2.13 now when they had departed the wise man departed uh, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, a messenger appeared to Joseph, he will add, in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now remember, he said, when you find him, bring me word where he's at, because I want to worship him too. But see, he was seeking him for a different reason, and that's exactly what was going on with Judas. He was seeking him. He looked like he was worshiping. He looked like he wanted to do the same thing. He spoke out of his mouth that he was doing the same thing. But in his heart, his plans had been confirmed by God when he showed the piece of bread. Fellowship is available. Intimacy is available. The husband, it's God's will that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And yet the church doesn't change its mind. It continues to follow the plans of the devil and say i'm worshiping god how come he's not taking care of me but we're not living according to the word so you cannot bear spiritual fruit you cannot bear fruit of repentance if you're still listening to the authority of everybody else and ignoring god's word little born again ones we're supposed to be surrendering to the Father's will. And the Father's will is that none would perish, but that we would all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would repent and we would follow his example and wash feet, that we would humble ourselves. Even when we have the ability, even when we have the knowledge, even when we had the power to do things, we would follow God's will regardless. And it takes much more control, self-control by the Spirit, 
it takes much more control not to do sometimes than to do. Because we always think, oh, just because it's there, we should do it. No, we need to ask God. Pray about everything. Cannot come, he tells him. That's an absolute negative. Cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now watch this again, because this happens in Acts. It happens all the time. And this is what you and I do. And, uh, I, well, you guys do, not me. Uh, you and I do this. People in Texas do this. Is that Jesus is telling us something of great importance. The Word of God. It's living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And we can't get our mind off our flesh. We can't get our mind off of one word. We can't get our mind off of something that we want to keep doing. We just get trapped in it. We get stuck in it. It's a rut. And we can't get out of that rut. Because of our flesh that's not in the grave. Listen, listen to what happens. He says, a new commandment, verse 34, I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why? By, all, by this, all will know that you are my disciples, my learners, my pupils, the ones that are following me, you, that you have love for one another. Now, this is very important. It's, it's, it's to understand what we're supposed to do and take care of one another. Um, but he says it's a new, and the word new can be fresh. Fresh. Listen to me. Because it's still the same law, but it's freshened. It's not done in the flesh. It's done by the Spirit. It's not the letter of the law. It's the Spirit of the law that God wants us to get because Jesus fulfilled the law completely he gives us his righteousness so that the penalty of our sin doesn't kick us out of heaven we can keep running the race we can keep running with endurance so see he's 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 fulfilled the law he hasn't done away with the law so he made it fresh and he give you some new batteries the holy spirit he give you new power, the Holy Spirit. It's no longer being done by a man who's a priest. This is the God-man who's the priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And he's going to send back his Holy Spirit to come and put his seed in your heart. Think about it. Is that seed going to grow when the Holy Spirit waters it? Or is it going to die because you ignore what God is saying to the church? The Holy Spirit comes to water. The Holy Spirit comes to grow it. The Holy Spirit comes to bear fruit in your life and to grow up offspring that looks like Christ in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But you have to know what to do with that love. And that's where the wisdom comes from of God. You have to know, I've got this love and I want to love. And man, there's somebody that's hungry. I better just give them all my money. That's not love. And there's somebody that just fell. Oh, I better get them a place to live. And there's somebody that's hungry. Oh, I better feed them. It's not always love. He says, listen, a new commandment, which means it's, it, it's, it's in tole. It means a authoritative prescription. His authority his prescription, and how you should love according to his example and what he's done. Some people he called whitewashed fences, whitewashed sepulchers. 
I mean, some, he ran off. He took a whip and he chased them out of the temple. Some he had compassion on, others he saves with fear. James would tell us later, or Jude would tell us later. So you have to use the wisdom of God with it. What's the Spirit saying now about it? Is this a person I should actually help or not? And now if I'm choosing to help them, what is the wisdom of God to help them? See, this is the pattern that Jesus uses. You can't do that in the flesh. Oh, you know what you can do in the flesh? You can make up programs. Everybody that knocks on the door, have them fill out this application, have them go to this place, and then we only do $110 for that, but we do $120 for that. And then if you want rent paid, then you have to sit down and you have to be in our class and you have to do this. And we set up all these programs to handle stuff, which is the way the world does it. You've got to fit in the categories. And if you've ever been convicted of drugs, you cannot get any government help. Really? That's the very people God wants. But he doesn't put it in a box. He puts it according to what Jesus did by each person, by each heart. And the love is different even though it's always the same. Because one person might need a cheeseburger and the other one might need a job. I will provide for all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We are promised by God. He'll prom- he-, he promises but everybody's needs are not exactly the same. So love is the same always. Love never changes. But it's different to different people, to different groups. We're going to see that in a minute. Because right now he's telling you to love one another. And that witness of loving one another in the body of Christ, loving one another in the body of Christ, that witness shows the power of God. I know that we, when we did Galatians 6, you know, and uh, uh, do not be deceived, God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh uh, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That's uh, 6, 7, and 8 of Galatians. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We'll look at 6.10. Therefore, it's there because of the other sowing and reaping and growing and going. Let, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Listen, that's because of love. That's because God is good. That's because God come to save the whole world. We're doing good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See, he gives, he, he does. Listen, listen, he does show a little bit of special favor to those who are in his house. He wants us washing one another's feet, taking care of one another. Why? Because it shows a watching world. It shows those who are not with us that God is real. I don't know how you put up with them. Well, because I love them. Because Christ commanded me to be to wash their feet. I don't know why you would do that for them. Because God hasn't told me to stop doing it. It's love. It's different. Listen, the world wants to push it all into one box. And they make love, acceptance, tolerance, put up with my sin. Listen, if you put up with their sin, you don't love them at all. You hate them. You want them to go to hell because if they die in their sins, they're going to go to hell. So love looks differently. It's applied differently. Inside the church and outside the church. Love in the church 
is fellowship, having all things in common. We know we're of the same father. We know we're of the same family. We put up with the weird uncle. We keep praying for him that he'll stop being weird. We're praying and we're all being sanctified and cleansed together. We're being a witness to the dying world. And we go out to the world and we witness differently too. Listen, Jesus is telling us to love differently. It's fresh. It's a new authoritative prescription. You cannot be born again and not come underneath the authority of God. If you are born again in the Spirit of God, the seed of God comes into your heart, you're going to want to come underneath the authority of God's Word. You're going to want to come underneath the authority of His house. You're going to want to be like the Father because He's perfect in every way. And if you don't want that, then you should ask Him, what's going on with my life? I'm not saying you're going to be perfect that day. You're being perfected. Listen, it's a fresh commandment. It's a new commandment. Look at Leviticus 19, 18, and I'll tell you why. I thought we could finish this chapter. You might be here a long time. Uh, what did I say? Leviticus 19. <sighs> Boom. Well, let's do 1917 because I want you to see this murder. 1917. This is law. This is what Jesus fulfilled. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. What are you doing in your heart? Who are you hating? Oh, I just can't stand them. Really? Good thing you're not under law. That would be murder. But 18 is what I want you to get to. You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the children of your people. That's your people. Notice it's, there's a distinction again. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's your authoritative commandment. There's your authoritative prescription. Why should I love my neighbor as myself? Because I'm the Lord. And if you're going to be in my house, you love others in my house, one another ministry the same way. Because of who I am and because I gave you grace and mercy, you should give people in my house grace and mercy. But what people see, instead of us loving one another, what they see is us gossiping and talking about one another. They see us divided. They see us in every way except for loving one another. And that's not emphatically, that's just partially. Because you can't love somebody unless you're in the spirit. This agape love. You can't love people socially, morally, unconditionally unless you have the Spirit of God helping you. Unless you're saying, Lord, teach me to love them. Teach me to love those of my own household. Spiritual household. We're going to live in heaven forever together. Listen to me. Forever together. Where are you going to hide up there? So it's a fresh commandment he's given to us that we love one another. It's reduplicate what he has done. Oh, let, let's, let's do commandment again. It's in tole. And it's an injunction. It's an authoritative prescription. And its first usage is in Matthew 5.19. Anybody want to go to Matthew 5.19? I got another place to go here in a minute, but go to Matthew 5, 19. Because it's really interesting that the very first time this is used is in a place where Jesus said, don't teach anybody not to obey the law. Listen, 
5.17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one little tittle will by any means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. 19 is where I want you to be. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to me. So Jesus is the greatest. And we're trying to follow his example. Because he did them perfectly. We have no capacity to obey them. But now he's taken the penalty and the power of them so that we can practice obeying them. Because it's still a perfect law. It's still perfect law. There's nothing wrong with the law. There never has been. It's always been with us. We're the broken ones that couldn't keep the law. And the proof is, is that Jesus kept it because he wasn't broken. He was perfect. The law has always been perfect. I'm not going to go there, but the Psalms tells us that. It converts the soul. It's always been about converting the heart. If you could obey it. But the law kept us in line. It was a pedagogist. It was a schoolmarm. It was the head servant of the house that led people to Jesus, to school. To come to know that your righteousness, right here the next verse, 520, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. See, theirs was fake. Theirs was pretend. They didn't have any righteousness. They were unrighteous. They were sick as a dog and didn't know it. But in their pride, they said, we're going to keep going. I'm not going to hear the truth. I'm not going to receive Jesus' provision for the sin nature. I'm going to keep acting like I'm righteous. When there's none righteous, no, not one. So all you have to do is believe in Jesus and your righteousness far exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Far exceeds anybody that thinks they know anything and will not bow the knee and humble themselves. Far exceeds anybody that says, no, you're not washing my feet. Just surrender far exceeds anything and you become the blesser and you will bless others. I don't care who they are. But what they typically want to do is cut your head off because they, you're the John the Baptist in their life. And they don't want to hear it anymore. So this new, this fresh, he made it fresh because now he even gives the spirit. And now it's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. And now we're looking at the heart of a person completely where we want to go out and we have to have wisdom of God. So we need the spirit of God with us all the time. I'll tell you right now, when you get in trouble in life, it's because you're in the flesh. When you have war with other people, it's because you're in the flesh. Yeah, but they said you're in the flesh. You said back. That's reviling for reviling. The, the spirit never is going to do that. The spirit's going to go, oh, leave. Soft answer turns away wrath. The spirit's going to lead you in the right direction to go to take care of the situation and to be at peace with all men as far as you're able. Now, I'm not telling you that there's not sometimes you have to have boundaries where you just don't even talk to them. God can give you those. God can do whatever he wants to do in your life. But are you letting him or are you following your plans for your funeral and not letting him wash your feet because you hate and you're mad and you have a right to? Well, didn't he have a right to? He laid it all down. He humbled himself. Even in the face of pride, he humbled it. And he clearly spoke the truth. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Very simple. 
he didn't say, don't make me beat you, boy. Don't make me take you to the woodshed. He just said, hey, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have a free will. But if you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me. How much of the church is saying, you're not washing my feet. I got this. I'll swipe a card. I'll do this. I got this. I'm keeping up with the Joneses. Don't mess with me. And they're really thumbing their, their nose in God's face with pride instead of humbling themselves in His sight. So it's a fresh commandment. It's a new commandment. It's an authoritative prescription that He's given to us that we would love one another. This is talking about in the body of Christ. Love as I have loved you. And you can't do that without the Spirit. His entire pattern was laying down His life, humbling Himself. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. He laid His life down completely under the control of the Spirit of God and trusted God fully that he knew that he was going to lead him in the way he was supposed to go. And what happens in this last night? He says, glorify yourself with my life. That's a surrender. That's a complete surrender. Be glorified. And he's glorifying the Father. By this, all will know are you serious? All will gnosko? They will learn to know? They will come to know by experience? They'll be aware? They'll understand that we're your disciples? That we've been learning from you? Yes! I tell people all the time, you, you talk to me for about three minutes and I'll know whether you're under the Lordship of Jesus Christ or not. I don't care if we're not talking about the Bible. Whatever you're talking about. I can tell, I mean, I used to tell my guys at Trinity Mission and I was a young Christian. Are you reading your Bible? They go, yeah, I go, no, you're not. Listen, if you're reading your Bible, you're spending time in the Word, you're, you're surrendering to the Spirit of God, you're going to want to talk about God. It's going to be like a fire in your bosom. It's not just for Jeremiah. We're all men just like Jeremiah. We're all men just like Elijah. And when God's in your heart, He's wanting to get a message out. He wants your tongue to move. And we're going to do it differently, but when you're spending time with God and you're intimate with the living God of the universe who created, and you tell me that you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to learn about it, you don't want to grow in it, you don't want to have, there's, not, there, there's a problem. Somebody's quenching the Spirit because the Spirit of God is here to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of God is here to glorify Jesus, and the only way to glorify Him is to talk about Him and lift Him up instead of lifting up self. Listen to me, this is serious stuff because many will do it in the flesh and they'll get into the word and prayer and fellowship and they're living their whole life under religion because they're still holding on to their own plans. They're holding on to their own life. They're not crucified with Christ. They've got other things they want to do. Yeah, but all you got to do is say a prayer and I'm fine. Don't bother me. Don't judge me, man. You're not the boss of me. Yeah, of course I'm not. But if you belong to Jesus, the Word of God is. If you belong to Jesus, you'll want the Word of God to be Lord over you because you're going to go back to hell if you don't. You're going to follow just like a dog back to the vomit, like a sow wallering in the miry clay. Why would you want to be back there? Deception? Self-deception? It's the only deception there is. Once you know the truth and the light's been turned on, turn it back off and step in a pile of dog poop. You allowed to say that from the pulpit? I just did. Guess you are. Think about it. You turn the light on, you go, wow, the dog pooped. Turn it back off. I'll never see it. 
That was real dumb. I I didn't say that. Think about it. You know, we we talk about how many how many people is in your church? How many seats are in your church? How big's your sanctuary? God says the world will know if you love one another. How many people in your sanctuary is loving one another? How many people's laying their life down? How many people's washing another's feet? That's how they know we're his disciples. Not how big a building we have. Not how big a ministry we have. Not how many cars are in the parking lot. Jesus said they'll know we're his learners and his disciples by if we wash one another's feet. Why are we not using that matrix to measure? Why do we not look at who volunteers and volunteers to love and serve? Why do we not look at who's washing feet of people who need their feet washed? Well, that's a big ministry there, boy. I had a guy tell me once, Joe Olstein must be doing something right. Look how many people's in his church on Sunday. I'm like, yeah, he's doing something right. He's following the devil. That's why white is the gate to destruction. And anybody that tries to tell him anything differently, they escort him out. They can't be corrected. They're the ones that go out. Notice two people went out of this, well, yeah, two people went out of this upper room. I know the numbers are a little bit different, 13. Two people went out of the upper room. Judas, headlong to perdition. Jesus, headlong to the will of God. And his true learners and disciples followed him. Oh, they got struck down. They were like, wow, the shepherd got struck and we're scattered. We don't know what we're doing. What is going on? We need help here. Don't worry, I'll come to you. And he came to them and he cooked them a meal and he said, let's sit down and eat again. We need to talk. But they kept coming. They kept eating. And they learned. And they grew. And you and I are born again because of that spirit that was in them. Judas went and hung himself. Are you washing feet? Are you laying your life down? Are you helping others? Oh, there they are again on the phone. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe they're calling me. I know they're going to want something because they always want something. Oh, really? I got one guy in my life like that. And he's got brain damage. He can't remember 15 minutes later that we just talked. So I go, oh, no, put him, I just hit silent. I just talked to him. If I answer, you know what I say? I go, you know, we just talked. He goes, no, I didn't remember. I go, I'm not mad at you. I'm just letting you know we just talked like 15 minutes ago. Yeah, but I wanted to tell you that I went to the doctor today. I go, you just told me 15 minutes ago we went to the doctor today. Oh, did I really? I don't remember that. And see, that's the way we are when we hear the word of God and we're being equipped for the saints and we go out the door and we go, oh, I don't remember that. The very thing we're supposed to remember, we have short-term memory loss on, and we go right back to our plans, our exploits, our what we need to do, and I'm making up my own words, and I'm doing my own thing, and I'm chasing my own dreams. And then we say, oh, I belong to Jesus' house. No, you don't. When you go out what you go out for, if you're going out to glorify God, then you belong to Jesus' house. If you're going out to fulfill your plans, you don't belong to Jesus' house. That's all I'm telling you. 
Can you? Yeah, you can surrender. You can put your feet in his hands today. And if you don't, there's going to come a day where you're going to go out and it's going to be dark and lonely. Now listen, I think this love is different and you can go, oh, well, what are you talking about? Well, here's a new commandment that we love one another. We wash one another's feet. We follow his example and, and then we're going to be blessed. But wait a minute. What, what does he say? And I don't think you're supposed to do this to your enemies, but look over at Matthew 5. I want you to read this because see, love is different. And, and why is it different? There's, there's like three kinds of love here that I want you to see. Three areas of love. I don't even know how to say it because God showed it to me as I was driving here this morning. So I, I haven't even had time to really let it rest in my heart and take seedbed. But we have to understand this. He's saying, love one another as I have loved you. That's the way you love one another in the body of Christ. You're seeking to do an unconditional agape love because you're becoming like Christ. You want to become like Christ. Your heart is like Christ. But see, this same verse of Leviticus 19.18 was quoted over here and Jesus said, you have heard it. And he's talking about the law. He's talking about Leviticus 19. It's Matthew 5.43, which is the first usage, by the way, of this word. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, that's Leviticus 19.18, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you, and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, sons and daughters, children is what the word can be translated, for he makes the, his son, notice who owns the son, better leave it alone people, rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let, let, let me give you my point here. Listen, I'm washing your feet. I'm loving you with mercy and grace and overlooking transgressions because we're the body of Christ, the same family. But now when I go out to translate that to a dead and dying world, I'm not having fellowship with them. I'm not condoning their sin. I'm not loving them the same way. It's a different love. Because if I love them, I'm going to shine my light and witness to them the truth of God. And what I'm learning is I wash your feet. I go to them as a witness. I go to them, but I still love them. I'm not condemning them. I used to be like them. But my love to them is not to wash their feet and accept them where they're at and allow them to stay in their homosexual lifestyle, to stay in their sin, to stay in their lies, to stay in their death, to stay in their grave. Love to them is not me enjoying what they're enjoying. You and I in the body as we wash each other's feet, we have all things in common. We're loving one another. When I go to the world, I'm not hating them. Even if they spitefully use me, even if they're my enemies, I will still know that there's a spiritual war going on for their soul. So my love to them is a message of the gospel. My love to them is what the Spirit would do, convicting all of sin and righteousness and judgment. My message to them would not be condoning and my message would not be sitting down with them and enjoying what they're enjoying because I don't have fellowship with the dead world. But I still want to love them so that they can come into the family of God. 
But the danger is, is while you do that, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, another kind of love. See, because this, be, this could be something the devil would use to confuse and say, don't judge me. God loves me. He created me this way, and I'm like this on purpose, so you have to follow me and accept me and, and be all-inclusive with your love. That's not the love of God if you actually say that about me. Look at 2.15. Because we're commanded with another authoritative prescription while I'm loving and washing your feet and we're learning to be the body of Christ and go out to a dead and dying world and love enemies of God's, we're also warned to be careful not to love the world or the things of this world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You guys got that? Listen, this is the warning. Do not love the world. Wow, I'm really confused now. You just said love those of the world. Listen, there's different ways to apply the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. There's different places. Love in the body of Christ is acceptance and love. And wash feet, we're helping take off grave clothes. We're making sure that one another is being kept accountable and not going back to the world. Then go back to the world witnessing, shining the light of Christ because we've come out of the grave is to get them to come to salvation. But the danger is, is if you get out there and you start accepting them and you start believing what they're saying and you go, yeah, you're right, I can't judge you, then you're going to begin to love the systems that are diametrically opposed to God. And that's what this is talking about. See, there's, there's a human word for cosmos. That's, the, that's mankind. And then there's a worldly system that it's opposing. The whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked. When that's his conclusion in this book, in 519, I know you're of God, right? But the whole world lies underneath the sway of wickedness. I don't go out and love wickedness. I go out and witness with the love of God to them. That's how I love a world. That's how I love my enemy. That's how I love those who spitefully treat me. I'm not having fellowship with that going, come on, I'm a masochist. Beat me some more. Lie to me some more. Hit me in the face some more, you lying enemies. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But he's talking about still laying down your life for them, not avoiding them. See, the church avoids them. The church runs from them because they don't understand. Well, how do I go out there and love them? Well, you've got to be very careful and you have to be led by the Spirit or you'll end up out there loving them in the lust of your eye, the lust of your flesh, and the pride of life. It's the way that Eve was deceived. Well, I'm just loving them. I'm just taking them the gospel. No, you're fellowshipping with them. You're condoning their sin. You're allowing them to do what they're doing without giving them. If you was really loving them, you would tell them the truth. You wouldn't participate. You wouldn't laugh at their nasty jokes. You would be separated, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. And you would still be making a whip, just like Jesus would, and cleansing the church, cleansing the building, cleansing the temple. I'm not talking about being mean to anybody, saying this stuff needs to go, this stuff needs to go. You're making my father's house a den of thieves. That's love. That was love. He was trying to get the nation of Israel to believe in him. No, not today. Boy, you better not say a cross word. Can't say anything. Don't judge me, man. You have to see me where I'm at. You have to accept me. Jesus had two fathers, so it's okay to have two fathers in a house. 
No, that's, that's good old-fashioned uh, wickedness. You're mixing the flesh and the spirit. Listen, we gotta, we got to wake up and hear the Word of God and know the Word of God and learn the Word of God and go with the Word of God, but don't be deceived and think that you can love the world, the system that is diametrically opposed to God. That's the physical realm. That's the place where you want your eyes, you want everything you see, you want your pride, you want to be the head of everything that goes on. And you want your flesh to feel good. Listen, you'll go places and your flesh will feel terrible. This is sick, this is creepy, this makes me feel bad even in the flesh, and I know my spirit is sick of it, but I'm here to witness. I'm going to tell the truth of God. And you shouldn't go to those places by yourself. Jesus sent them out in twos. Be very careful if you're going there by yourself. Oh, I'm just witnessing. No, you're just being prideful in your witnessing, which is really easy to do. Notice what he says. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And then what does he say in verse 17? Because this is what we need to know. And the world is passing away. It's the grave. It's death. It's dying. And the lust of it, chasing it, is dying. But he who does the will of God, the written word of God, abides, lives forever. That's the word lives. In his house, forever. So love is going to change. When somebody's accepting the word of God, you have patience and love and compassion and mercy upon them. When they are, when they are perverting the word of God and they're thinking they can live any way they want, you save them with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. When they're your enemy, you don't have fellowship with them in knee and all things in common. You go out and you love them by telling them the truth. There's, there's love. And, and why, is it, why is there like three different areas? Well, I don't know. Three is like a big number in the Bible. And the Father's, what was the Father's will? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. All, whomsoever believes. Think about it. His will is that all would come to repentance. So there is a love that goes to all in the witness of sin and righteousness and judgment. But then the Son came and is glorified in doing the will, becomes a pattern of how those in his house should live. And then he gives you the Spirit to convict. It's not our job to convict people. So there's three different persons of god the three are one all doing the same thing but differently one laid down his life one convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment will wash and cleanse you will change you will lead you out of this grave one sets in heaven on the throne of power the question is which one are you trying to live in being led by the spirit you don't even have to question it no one can judge you, Paul said. I don't even judge myself. I'm just being led by the Spirit, doing the work of the God, looking to fulfill my calling and my anointing so that the Father would be glorified. And if the Father is glorified, He's going to take me into heaven and glorify me. And He'll do it immediately. I'm positionally there. I'm practically being glorified. I'm a trophy of grace on His stand. But I'm growing. I'm not just sitting still. I'm not just talking about, I said a prayer once. Now I can do anything I want go back to our text we'll close out i want you to see that even after all of that even when jesus says 
Look what I just did for you. You know, even when Jesus is this perfect pattern, perfect example, saying, I'm finished, I'm anointed, I'm going to the grave. I mean, and then what does Peter do? In all of this, look, verse 35, verse 36, I'm sorry. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Now listen to me, because you need to understand this. Simon Peter, the one that Jesus said, I'm going to make a rock on your confession. I'll build the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, and the gates of hell will not prevail. He missed every bit of that. He's standing in the upper room with Jesus, and like a little bitty immature child, he's still stuck on, where are you going that I can't go? I wanted to go with you. He's still stuck in his flesh. Look, he missed every bit about love. He missed every bit about following it and doing this and being a witness about it. And that's much like the church today, an immature church. That's why people are supposed to grow, become mature, reach out and keep speaking love to those that are growing so that they will not stand there and go, but I was just wanting some ice cream. See, that's what a kid does. That's what an immature kid does that's still on the milk of the word. But notice where he's at when the Spirit actually comes upon him at Pentecost. He preaches a sermon and 3,000 are saved. And he corrects the ruling authorities. And look where he goes after that. But right now, he's missed the whole thing. Jesus is like, well, a fresh commandment I'm giving you. And he's like, he told me I can't go. And Jesus is wonk, 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 Charlie Brown in the background right now because he's still focused on the fact that somebody said no to him. See, that's what your pride will do. Well, ago it was, you're not washing my feet. See, this is what your flesh will do. Oh, if I don't, you have no part of me. Okay, wash all of me. You can't come up with your own ideas. It's God's plan. It's God's salvation. It's God's calling. It's God's anointing. He's written it all down. He wants us to come and listen and then ask for help to obey. Think about it. It's with your kids. No, no, no. You can't do it like that, son. You got to do it like this. Don't you, want them to, don't you just want them to say, well, show me. Jesus did. He came down and showed us by example how to be led by the Spirit and die to self, even to the point of death on a cross. And it bore much fruit. This is what we want out of our children. But yet, at the same time, Peter doesn't even hear him. He's still, where's he at? Look at him. Look where he's at. Look where he's at. Where are you going? He's still stuck back there on the place where Jesus said he was leaving. And you couldn't go. Even the world came up with an idea. The Pharisees, when he told them, you can't go where I'm going, they said, where's he going? To the dispersion? We can go anywhere. We're all powerful. We're the Pharisees. Peter's like, I'm just mad because you ain't taking me. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow. Be in the way with me now. Notice that word's there, now. But afterwards, but you shall follow me afterwards. And indeed he did. They drank the cup he was drinking from. They followed. They died. They were martyred. They rose again. They're waiting on us. Yeah, that cannot here means thou canost. 
is uh, King James. Thou can't is dynamo. You don't have the power to follow me right now because you're a little child. You're not mature. You can't go witness until you grow. You're going to have to go do some stuff. What are you going to go through? He's going to deny him three times. He's going to tell him he can't go with me now because you've got to grow. You've got to go through some trials, some tribulations, through some pain. You're going to come to the other side of it, and then you're going to strengthen your brethren. But Peter's still stuck in the flesh, in the religion, and I could do this. Look, Lord Kuyos, he calls him, and we do, supreme in authority. Why can't I, notice it, it's, it's ego. Why can't I not follow you? I will lay down my life for your sake. Notice it's an I. Notice it's in his power, in his strength, in his religion. You washing my feet? Uh, when, I, when, when you're covered in the blood, those are my feet. Jesus bought us. It's self. He's in self. He's still looking at self. Why can't I follow you? Remember he tells them, he tells them, even if all deny you, I'll not deny you in the, in the other gospels because he thinks of himself more highly than the other disciples in the room. Yeah, but I'm number one, Jesus. These guys might not be able to follow you right now, but I can. Why can't I go? I'll lay down my life for you, which is all noble. It's noble. If you do it in the spirit and not according to the flesh. If you do it according to God's plans and not according to your own plans. But when you do it in the flesh, you can't be glorified by God. He doesn't even recognize your flesh. But if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the works of the flesh. Lay down. He says, I will lay down, commit my life, kneel down. I'll place my life. It's in Matthew 5.15. What does it say? And we'll close here. Matthew 5.15 was the first usage on it. Not Malachi, Matthew. 5.15, first usage. Nor do they light a lamp and put, put is the word, See it? Lay it down under a basket. Doesn't do any good. So Christ has washed your feet. He's given you an example. He's lit your light. He's called you out of darkness. And then hiding it is not laying it down. Put it under a basket is not laying it down. But you put it on a lamp stand. Where has he called you to stand at? And it gives light to all who are in the house. Because that's what we're supposed to do. If they're in God's house, we're supposed to be washing one another's feet. Well, how do we know? Well, you've got to make some decisions. You can tell a tree by its fruit. You have to use wisdom. And the Spirit needs to be doing that all the time. But look what happens. He's still saying, I'm ready to lay my life down. 38 Jesus answered him because it required an answer because the word of God will always give you an answer in what's going on in your life. Will you lay down your life for my sake? Look at the question mark. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Not betrayed, as Judas did, but denied. Because his strength is small. Listen, his strength is small. He has to go through some stuff and learn to trust God. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Proverbs 24.10. Listen to me. He faints. As soon as they strike the shepherd, as soon as he's gone physically, as soon as all this goes on, he says, I'm going fishing. But what happens as he follows? He was following close behind in the flesh, and he goes into the high priestess, and he's sitting at the courtyard, and he denies him three times. And one of the texts even says, as the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at him, and they looked at each other's eyes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But God has loved us so much with an amazing love, love that we don't even understand, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to me. He's given us an example. And it hurts when somebody betrays you, Judas. It is horrible when somebody denies you, Peter. But do you understand the salvation of the Lord, Jesus? This is what he wants us to have intimacy about, knowing him, being with him, coming to him for wisdom, being trained by him, led by his spirit. So that even the betrayer, even the denier, even the denier, that all would come to repentance. Where his hands, where his feet. It hurts. You can only imagine as we get to it in, in, the, in the latter chapters here, when Jesus looks at him and says, do you love me? Three times. We're back to this again. There's, there's a different way to treat in love. Love for some people's differently. And I'm not talking about some psychology and love languages. I'm talking about God and knowing how to go to each person and talk to them and they see the love of God because of the Spirit of God, because you've been in the Word of God, have an intimacy with God for the glory of God. And if you do that, he'll glorify you and he'll do it immediately. And you won't have to deny him. But know yourself, your maturity. God will lead you. See, Peter doesn't understand and he's trying. He's been led in the legalistic, pharisaical system that, that accepted and denied. It's a spirit of the world. It's the same system that we see that Satan is running now. It's the same system that's set up in culturanity now. It's not the spirit, but it's the law. There's dress codes, there's building codes, there's action codes, there's seminary codes. There's all of these things that are set up, and if you look like that, you can be that, but it has nothing to do with the heart of man and the spirit of God. Listen, anybody can be a pastor. Anybody can be a Bible study leader. Anybody, anybody can do whatever they want. But it takes the Spirit of God to wash feet. Oh, you can pretend for a while. But then what would they hear? The gossip about them gnarly toes? Or would they hear the love of God? 
Most people hear gossip and they don't want nothing to do with the church because all they hear about is the gossip from the pews around the dining tables as we eat after church. What are you talking about? The one who washed your feet or your own works? I think we lift up the example. If he be lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And it can only be done by the Spirit of God and the timing of God for the glory of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank thank you that you left the throne in heaven to come and wash our feet. Our feet were dirty, Lord. Our souls were dirtier. But you redeemed them with your blood. Wash us afresh and anew with your word by the power of your spirit. Give us a desire, Lord, to to put our feet in your hands and allow you to wash and cleanse us. Teach us, Lord, what it means to wash and cleanse others and be an example of your example, a pattern of your pattern, to be led by your spirit for your glory. Teach us, Lord, and help us to receive it and bear fruit that lasts. Wake us up, Lord, if we're in bed with anybody else or have plans that are not your will for our life. Pour out your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?